Well, better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all. That's what I say about my beloved Philadelphia Phillies. Having just played in the World Series, it is a fitting time to educate you all with Peter Kroll's first theorem of baseball spectating. I'm still trying to get my research published in Scientific American, but here's the theorem in brief. A foul ball entrusted to a young child will remain in the possession of that child not more than three minutes, but will always and abruptly be thrown back onto the field. It's funny because people who catch foul balls at the ballpark, well, they don't usually catch them. People who chase foul balls will often do really rude and stupid things just to acquire the elusive foul ball. And then they think they're doing a good deed by handing the ball to a child. But young children simply don't grasp what a treasure they have in their hands, and they just end up throwing it away. And this serves as a parable for wisdom from which we ought to be instructed. Jesus, in a sense, has caught the most valuable World Series foul ball. And if you follow him... He has now placed that wisdom into your grubby little hands. Now that you've got it, what will you do with it? Will you hold on to it? Because our text this morning teaches that wisdom is not, pardon me, wisdom is worth not only finding, but also keeping. God made the world to work in such a way that it would be worth your while to hang on to his wisdom. That's where we're heading this morning. Let me pray for us and for our time in God's word. Our Father in heaven, Lord, please help us to recognize the treasure that you have handed to us in Christ. May we not only find it, but keep it and hang on to it. May we know you more and more and experience the delight and the treasure of your wisdom. Help us now to understand your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are in Proverbs chapter 3 this morning as we continue our study. If you have one of the church Bibles, it's on page 495. And this poem we're going to look at, the first stanza of it, begins and ends with the word blessed. So we talk about, we'll talk about the blessings of finding wisdom. Listen to the blessings that are available to those who find wisdom in verses 13 through 18. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire can compare with her. 
Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. Friends, according to this word from God in verse 13, it is worth it to find wisdom. Why? Because of the bold claim of verse 15. That nothing you desire can compare with wisdom. Consider the implications of that statement. Nothing you desire can compare with wisdom. Do you know what that means? That means that wisdom is more satisfying than Thanksgiving dinner. Finding wisdom is a greater blessing than having sex, even according to God's design for marriage. Wisdom will make you happier than will conceiving a child. If your goal is to graduate, get a job, find a soulmate, help the needy, if your goal is to gain a hearing or to start a business or write a book or join a band or fit in, If your goal is to get your kids through college to protect your kids from losing their faith while in college, if your goal is to master theology or to find a good church or to go fishing or to win the election, if your goal is to pay the bills, grow your church, buy a house, get promoted, retire comfortably, live close to your grandchildren, if your goal is to leave a legacy or eat even to be left alone, if your goal is any of these things, your goal is too small. Your goal will not satisfy you. All of these things are good things, but not one of them can compare to the wisdom of God. So many of us think we're experts in satisfaction. But we're more like adolescents at the beach, absorbed in their Instagram feed. We're captivated in our own little world while missing out on all the real fun that's just sitting there. Just look at the very real blessings of finding wisdom in this poem. Verse 16 talks about the long life that's in her right hand. Nobody wants to die young, right? So how about a nice long life? Or further in verse 16, in her left hand, there are riches. Now, he just said in verses 14 and 15 that he's not talking about silver or gold or jewels since the profit of wisdom is far better than such things. So the riches of verse 16 are not the sort of thing that can be measured in dollars and cents. 
but he's not very clear just yet on what sort of riches he means. We'll, we'll have to wait and see where he goes with this. But moving on in verse 16, he talks about honor. That's also in wisdom's left hand. You see, there's a certain honor that comes along with wisdom. When others see the outcome of a wise life and they respect it, they imitate it. Wisdom makes you into the sort of person that other people want to be like and to be around. Do you know that sort of person? Where it, it doesn't really matter what the topic of conversation is. You just know that wise and life-giving truths will come from them. And you want to be in their vicinity to pick up as much of that as you can. Wisdom offers that kind of honor. In verse 17, her ways are ways of pleasantness. Along with wisdom comes in many ways a pleasant life. You've probably seen it, where the wise person could even be suffering intensely, but they have not grown weary of the Lord's discipline. They are delighted to walk in relationship with their God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And whatever it is they are doing, they just seem to be having so much fun while they're about it. The end of verse 17, all her paths are peace. Peace. Does that mean that the person who finds wisdom is no longer living in conflict with God? They have peace? Or does it mean that the peace of God spills over from them into every other relationship, mediating conflict and bringing disorder to an end? Probably it means both, but again, we'll have to wait and see where he goes with this. These are the blessings of finding wisdom, long life, lasting riches, honor, pleasantness, and peace. These are the sorts of things that people hope will bring satisfaction to human existence. And finding wisdom is like finding a satisfaction that cannot be threatened or undermined by outside forces. Finding wisdom is sort of like the legend of Ponce de Leon looking for the fountain of youth. Except that wisdom is very, very real. And as chapter 1 of Proverbs made clear, wisdom is quite available and it's not hidden or mysterious at all. You don't have to go whacking through the jungles to find it. Now, we must read this poem verses 13 through 18, in light of the one that came right before, the first part of chapter 3, which clarified that the blessings of wisdom are not available to everybody. They're only available to members of God's family. That still holds true as we, we work through Proverbs, these first nine chapters especially. Each poem builds on the, 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 the previous ones. As he's making his argument, he's building a house, he's, he's giving us a worldview to understand how wisdom works. And so in this poem, he signals that a relationship with God is still necessary to get all of these blessings. I think he signals that in verse 18 when he says that wisdom is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. 
You see, the tree of life, it's not just a random metaphor. The tree of life was a special tree in the Garden of Eden when God first created the world and the first man and woman. He put a special tree in that garden where Adam and Eve could eat and live forever in perfect harmony with their creator God. This was the tree that once they had become sinners, they were not permitted to eat from anymore lest they live forever as sinners, which would not benefit them. You see, that tree of life, that is wisdom. Wisdom is the water cooler around which we gather with our God to enjoy sweet fellowship. So the main idea here is that it is worth it to find wisdom. Do whatever it takes. Take a step in the right direction first by fearing the Lord. And then you pursue him. You keep pursuing him. Listen to his voice. Ask him for his wisdom and live in light of it. You will never regret it. But that's only the first stanza of this text. These are the blessings for those who find wisdom. But we've seen all along in these opening chapters of Proverbs that wisdom is a journey. It's not a destination. So it can't be enough to simply find wisdom. Verse 13, bless the one who finds wisdom. It can't be enough to find it and then rely on that singular discovery for the rest of our lives. How do these blessings fit with the idea that we must continue growing in wisdom step by step and day after day? Look with me at the poem's last stanza to see, secondly, the blessings of keeping wisdom. Keeping wisdom. Verses 21 through 26. My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion and they will be life for your soul and adornment for your neck then you will walk on your way securely and your foot will not stumble if you lie down you will not be afraid when you lie down your sleep will be sweet do not be afraid of sudden terror or of the ruin of the wicked when it comes for the lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. So here at the end of this passage that we're looking at today, he's moved on from finding wisdom, verse 13 to verse 21, keeping wisdom. Don't be like the little kid, he says, with the foul ball. Don't throw away the treasure that you found. Why? What's in it for you if you hang on to this treasure and continue walking the path of wisdom? All the blessings of finding wisdom, those blessings we saw in verses 13 through 18, are now repeated in this stanza, but not only repeated, but magnified. The long life of verse 16 is now magnified in verse 22 as life for your soul. You see, the long life that wisdom offers doesn't necessarily mean that you'll live to the age of 100. It means that your soul has found long life, even eternal life. The honor of verse 16 is now magnified in verse 22 as adornment for your neck. 
In other words, you will be attractive to others. Your honor will be evident in tangible ways. The peace of verse 17 is now magnified in verse 23 as security. You will walk on your way securely. You see, he said you'll have peace. Her ways are peace. But that peace has now become so extreme that no enemies are to be found at all along your way. And so you can walk securely without stumbling. In verse 17, he promised pleasantness to those who find wisdom. And now that's magnified in verse 24 as not being afraid. And 25, don't be afraid of sudden terror. And he says at the end of 24, your sleep will be sweet. That's the kind of pleasantness that wisdom offers. And with my sleep disorder that I wrestle with, this is the sort of pleasant life I get excited about. The only blessing from the first stanza that's not explicitly mentioned is that of riches. Verse 16. But all the others really seem to match up verbally. So I wonder if the riches are are not really missing. I wonder if they've also been both magnified and clarified for us, particularly in verse 26. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. You see, I think he's saying that the ultimate riches available to you, it's not silver or gold or jewels, it's the Lord himself. When you find wisdom, Proverbs 2 already said that you find the Lord himself just waiting for you to trust him and ask him for help. And when you find him, this poem now clarifies that your greatest riches are contained there in God himself. He is the one who becomes your confidence and who keeps your foot from being caught. And there's great hope here in that last line. There's a tremendous comfort that those who keep seeking wisdom, verse 21, will be kept, verse 26, by the Lord himself. He will sustain you and uphold you on this journey of wisdom until you fully enter his presence on the last day to be with him forever. And you come into your inheritance and you receive the riches of God. So friends, it is worth it. To find wisdom like a foul ball at the World Series. And it is even more worth it to hang on to wisdom and not throw it back onto the field. Like a fine wine or a cheese, the blessings of wisdom improve with age and they just keep getting better and better and better as you hang on to it. Now, before I move on, it's worth asking by way of application. If keeping wisdom is so great, then why do we still so often throw it away? Why do we so often halt the journey, cancel the reservation, give up what we've gained? I could perhaps give many answers to this question, but with my limited time this morning, let me just tease for you the next passage with one such answer. 
that he, he gets to later. Down in verse 31 of chapter 3, he commands us not to envy a man of violence. Don't envy a man of violence. And according to this book of Proverbs, violence is the quickest pathway to monetary riches. That's how you get, you get wealthy. That's how you find your security, by hurting others. I think that many people give up the search for wisdom because they get distracted by what they see in the world. They see foolish people prospering and appearing to enjoy themselves in the process. So they give up on what the scripture says. They stop believing that God's wisdom is worth it and they turn aside to something that provides a quicker payoff, however temporary that payoff may be. Brothers and sisters, I urge you, do not follow such a crooked path. Do not believe the lie that this is all a lie. Stay the course of wisdom. Hold on to it, and you will not regret it. Why? Why does it work this way? And has the Lord given us any sort of assurance that it is not too good to be true? This takes me to point number three, why it works this way. Because tucked right in between the two stanzas, the blessings of finding wisdom, the blessings of keeping wisdom, right in between is the skeleton key that unlocks this poem's puzzle. How can these things be? And what assurance do we have of the truth of these blessings in real life? Look at verses 19 and 20. The Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down the dew. These two verses stand at the poem's heart, smushed between wisdom's manifold blessings. These two verses are here to explain why finding and keeping wisdom produces such blessing. And the answer, in short, is simply because that's how God made the world to work. That's how God made the world to work. These verses talking about God's creation, they're not changing the subject to talk about God's creation generally. They speak about God's founding of the earth by wisdom, verse 19, and his establishment of the heavens by understanding. And it does this in order to explain that God encoded his wisdom right into the operating system of the universe when he designed it. God wove his wisdom right into the fabric of the universe. God sounded forth his wisdom to get the entire orchestra of the universe in tune. These two verses explain so many things. So I would like us to just sit here reflecting on it for a few minutes. These verses explain why there are times when there are people who do not follow Jesus, who still do wise things and reap the rewards of it. 
You see, when someone stumbles upon a principle of God's wisdom built into the creation and they live according to it, they are swimming with the tide of creation and natural blessings typically result. So what do I mean? Someone who works with diligence is rewarded more than the person who works with laziness. And those who treat others with kindness and truth have closer relationships than those who are rude and obnoxious to those who try to get close to them. Have you seen godless and even wicked people succeed in life? Have you ever wondered whether that's fair or whether it's in accordance with God's purpose? Does this mean that Christianity is is only one truth among many truths? I mean, look at these people succeeding. Could all world religions and even our current religion of secular self-help, could they all just be working toward the same goal? Could Christians have merely observed what works in the creation? What sort of behaviors will result in natural blessings? And then maybe they adapted it into a set of religious myths and beliefs? That's an important question, but we need to understand that it, it, it mistakes the cause and the effect. In, in other words, with such thinking, we have reversed the roles of wisdom and creation. As though wisdom comes from observing the creation. Creation came first, and then we get wisdom from it when we look at it. But Verses 19 and 20 of Proverbs chapter 3 clearly says the opposite. Wisdom came first and was built into the creation. The Lord wove his wisdom into the fabric of creation. That is why we can see God's existence and God's wisdom displayed in the things that have been made, as Paul says in Romans chapter 1. Doesn't this also explain why the Lord constantly uses the creation to illustrate truths about his kingdom? I bore you from Egypt as on eagles' wings. The Lord is my shepherd. He leads me beside still waters. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you, O God. What am I getting at? Whenever the Lord uses something in the creation to illustrate some truth regarding his kingdom, he's not just looking for supplemental material to assist him in his teaching plan. No, he put it there in the creation on purpose so that it would teach us about him. It's not as though God was thinking when, when he inspired the scriptures to be written. Hmm, you know, I would really like to show these people how much I love them. What do they have in their lives that I can use as illustrations? I know, they've got eagles and fathers and mothers and husbands and wives and judges and rain and waterfalls. So I'll tell them all about my love by making use of those metaphors. They're so handy, aren't they? No, it wasn't like that at all. It was more like this. 
I'm going to create a world where my glory and my love are modeled at all times in every corner. So let us create eagles and fathers and mothers and husbands and wives and judges and rain and waterfalls. Then when I go to communicate my love, the wisdom of it will have already been encoded into the creation and they'll be able to see it clearly. Friends, God put his wisdom right into the creation at the moment of creation. And here is the import of this fact. When you pursue wisdom, you are cutting with the grain of creation. When you seek the Lord's face and walk in his wisdom, you are swimming with the tide of creation. When you hold on to wisdom and keep it firmly in hand, you will be supported by the creation. Because you are living in accordance with how the world was designed to work. And when you use something according to its design, you're on the path to a good result. If I use a steak knife to cut my steak... I'm using it according to its design and it will go well for me. But if I use a steak knife to pry apart frozen hamburgers or to tighten a loose screw, the chances are greatly increased of producing an undesirable result because I'm going against the creator's design. So why does it work that finding and keeping wisdom result in such great blessings, it's because God made the world to work this way. He made the world to work such that kindness and compassion toward other people would be rewarded with honor and friendship. He made it to work so that loving the Lord more than pleasure or money would generate greater peace and pleasantness in your life. God made the world to work such that fearing the Lord would give one a sense of purpose and a very, very long life in the resurrection. And alternatively, God made the world to work such that being a rude and obnoxious person means that people won't want to be your friend. And that loving money more than anything would guarantee that you would never be satisfied with money. And that trusting in yourself would leave you feeling insecure and stressed out until you lose the very life you're trying to hold on to. Solomon is teaching us how God designed the world to work according to Wisdom. Solomon's teaching us this, and, and things went pretty well for Solomon for a number of years until he stopped listening to it, until he wasn't keeping it any longer. He, he failed to swim with the tide of creation, and he turned aside to his love of money and his love of the ladies 
to the point where his heart turned away from the true God to worship false gods. So we can learn a lot from Solomon, but we still need another teacher of wisdom, and we need more than a teacher. We need one who has even greater credibility than Solomon because he actually believes what he is teaching and he can deliver what he promises. So after Israel had waited for centuries, another man came along teaching the people about wisdom. He, he came teaching the people about the work of God in creation and the kingdom of God revealed through the creation. He instructed them to look at the birds of the air and to, to notice how God always feeds them. And he instructed them to, to consider the lilies of the field to reduce their stress for the future. He drew their attention to how seeds take root in different types of soil and to how weeds and grain grow together in the same field. He described the disproportionate growth of a tiny little seed into a huge shady tree. And he joked around about swallowing a whole camel and getting a cedar trunk stuck in your eyeball. His name was Jesus. And he came from heaven not only to teach the wisdom of God, he came to live and to be the wisdom of God. He was constantly peeling back layers of ignorance that had fallen on the people to show them how the world really works and how God's kingdom is to work on earth just as it works in heaven. So while Solomon in Proverbs spoke of the long life the riches and the honor available to those who find and keep wisdom, Jesus said that knowing him is to acquire a long life that never ends. Jesus spoke of himself as the sort of riches that moth and rust can never destroy. And Jesus offered to people not only the honor of friendship with men and women, but he offered the very applause of heaven for sinners who repent and trust in Jesus as their king. At every turn, Jesus was showing us how God wove his wisdom into the fabric of the universe and how we can now access that wisdom and all of its incomparable blessings by pledging allegiance to this King Jesus. How is the wisdom of Jesus especially seen in the creation? Here's but one example, yet a crucial one for us to grasp from John chapter 12. Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Isn't that so clear in nature? Life and fruitfulness come only through death. That is a fact of wisdom that God encoded in the creation. We see this not only in wheat grains, but in many other places, such as the cycle of the seasons on an annual basis. But why is that fact encoded into the universe? That life and fruitfulness come only through death. What does it mean? Well, Jesus explains it in the next verse. Whoever loves his life loses it, 
And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Oh, so the point of that grain thing is that if I want life and fruitfulness, I must, in a sense, die. Eternal life comes only for those who hate their lives in this world. Is this for real, Jesus? How do we know? Can we ever see this playing out this way? Well, Jesus continues. Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. And in John chapter 12, Jesus speaks of his own death, which will bring life and fruitfulness to the world. Here is Jesus, the exemplar and the paragon of wisdom, the one who not only speaks what is true, but who lives by it, even to the point of laying down his own life so that eternal life could become available to others. And now you and I can follow him on this path of dying so that we might live, becoming low so that we might be raised up, humbling ourselves that he might exalt us. So friends, please do not be content to simply experience the natural blessings of wisdom built into the creation. A life lived according to wise principles that's rewarded with blessings in this life. Because even according to Proverbs, it's not true wisdom unless it begins with the fear of the Lord. Please find Jesus Christ. Hang on to him. So that your best life is not just now, but will continue into the next world as well. In conclusion, God made the world to work such that there would be great blessings for those who not only find, but also keep wisdom. So once you have found wisdom and you have set your hope in the Lord Jesus Christ, do not give up on the hunt. Wisdom is worth not only finding, but also keeping. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, O Lord, who could make a world such as you have made yours? There is no God like you. And you are showing yourself to us at every corner, if we would have but eyes to see. Please help us to see your wisdom. Help us to know your love. Help us to see your glory, that we might love Jesus our King all the more, that we may hold fast to him. And Lord, we ask that you would please keep our foot from being caught. Jesus, you said that no one could take us out of your hand. And so we are trusting you to keep your promises. Please reward your people. Bless them with life, peace, pleasantness, riches and honor in your kingdom and for your glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.